Church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to the New Testament book of First Thessalonians. We're in First Thessalonians, the third chapter. Last week, our student pastor, uh, Brian Howard, did a fantastic job walking through First Thessalonians chapter 2 and the theme of faithfulness in the midst of adversity. We come now to a very similar theme of, of caring for others in the midst of adversity, in the midst of opposition. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, we're going to have our third and fourth and fifth grade collide choir kids come back into the sanctuary. Parents, feel free to stand up. Allow your kids to be able to see real clearly where you are. And yes, we do ask that you take your kids home at the conclusion of this service here. And so let them find you and we'll continue to walk through as they come in this morning. Uh, one of the things that was, was a lasting memory to me growing up, and I, I have a feeling it is a lasting memory to many of you that are here, where when I was growing up, eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, I would spend a week or two with my grandparents outside of Starkville, Mississippi. And one of the architectural features of their homes, that's just a central memory in my mind, is you would go to their house and they had this great room that all of the walls were lined with, uh, to the ceiling, to the floor, bookshelves filled with books. They had a study, and in the study, lining the walls were bookshelves from the top of the ceiling to the bottom of the floor filled with books. And it was just this treasure trove of all of these old books. I can still remember the smells of those rooms and, and being there in my mind as an eight-year-old, bored out of my mind, going through those books, pulling them off the shelf and looking at them. And those are tender memories to me, both my both my maternal grandparents are in heaven now, but very influential in my life, even to this day. And their love for books and their love for reading has still made a lasting imprint upon me. I can still remember some of the covers of those books. One of the covers, hey, to our third, fourth, and fifth graders that are walking in, thank them again for leading us in worship. Thank them for leading us in worship. Hey, let's thank these for leading us in worship right here. Here we go. We're finding our way. We're finding our way. So we're back to my grandma, uh, grandparents' house there. The books are there. And one of the books that still vividly is in my mind, pulling it off as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, really not knowing what this book meant, but the title was intriguing to me. It was simply entitled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? That was a popular book 30 years ago. Rabbi Harold Kushner is the author of that book. I didn't read that book, but it was one of the first times in that moment as a young child, I realized that, that things in life could be difficult. I was fairly immune to difficulty and tragedy as a young kid, but I, but I knew enough to know that, that bad things do happen to good people. And why is that the case? Many Christians ask a very similar question, but they rephrase it. Why do bad things happen to God's people? There's some Christians that offer a flavor of Christianity that I think betrays the very truth of the gospel that, that actually says that's not the right question. Don't ask why do bad things happen to God's people. Actually, you, you need to just have more faith. If you prayed more, if you gave more, if you went to church more, if you believed more, 
If you believed more, God would put a shield of immunity around you and calamity cannot come your way. Health, wealth, prosperity is yours if you would but ask. And what do we say to the prosperity gospel? What do we say to this teaching that endless ease and relaxation and material prosperity and and earthly health is just ours? If we would just ask, what do we say to that? Well, we have to open up God's word. And that's what does our Savior say about this? And then we hear the words of our Savior in John chapter 16 said, I have said these things to you, his disciples, that in me that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I I know it is tempting to believe that if you just had more faith and you just prayed more and you just gave more and you just asked more and if you just believed more. I know it's tempting to think that at the end of, of, of that rainbow there is this treasure trove of your best life now. But I tell you what Jesus teaches us, not our best life now here on earth, but our perfect life in the eternity to come. That's what he promises us. He, he doesn't promise you immunity from calamity. He doesn't promise you a disease-free life. He doesn't promise you a difficulty-free life. He doesn't promise you a tribulation-free life or trial-free life. In actuality, as you walk through God's word, he promises us that he is going to be with us in the midst of those difficulties, and he is going to redeem those difficulties for our good and his glory. And Paul is writing to a church 2,000 years ago in this bustling metropolis of Thessalonica, who, who is, they're facing trials. They're facing hardship, and they're facing heartache, and they're facing persecution and opposition. And Paul writes to them to say, this is how much I care for you. This is how much I love you. And if we would have ears to hear, we would hear Paul practically talking to us as Christians. How can we come alongside of our friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors who will walk roads that you have walked or maybe walking right now, roads of difficulty? Not, not a first century Christian persecution, probably not in this sanctuary. Probably not what we're going to face, but the truth of this word is is that all of life will have difficulty. And how can we as the body of Christ encourage one another? Paul, he paves a way to do that. And he shows us that we can be those kinds of encouragers by caring for one another. Listen to chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you before That we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter, who's the tempter, that Satan, that Satan had tempted you and our labor would be in 
vain. Now, what's the labor that Paul is referencing here? The labor, historically, is what we read about in Acts chapter 17. So in the margin of 1 Thessalonians, all of the details can be fleshed out by you just this afternoon filling out Acts chapter 17. They just remind us, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they show up in this, in this central booming city, 250,000 residents there in Macedonia. It's called Thessalonica. They go to the synagogue. They are Jewish people that come to faith in Jesus Christ. There's already in those early days, in those early weeks, there's opposition. So much so that Paul's got to leave town with Silas three weeks into the planting of this church. They leave Timothy behind. They flee to Berea, Acts chapter 17, verse 10. And in Berea, guess what? Paul's preaching the gospel. There's opposition that comes his way. Paul's got to get out by the moonlight as his cover to get from Berea to Athens. In Athens, Silas, Timothy, and Paul, they regroup. And what does Paul want to do? He wants to go back to Thessalonica. Now, if you were Paul's advisor, if you were Paul's mentor, if you were Paul's brother or sister, you would take Paul off to the side and say, Paul, really appreciate the vigor. I really appreciate the persistence. I really appreciate your courage. But hey, let's have a little bit of reason here. I mean, you don't, you don't have to go looking for a fight. You don't have to go looking for opposition. They've already run you out of town. Let's let it cool down. Let's let someone else take up the, the banner of truth here. You don't have to go back there. But Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, one of the reasons he's writing is to say in each and every chapter, I can't wait to see you again. We oftentimes think of the Bible as, and it certainly is the inspired word of God, with, with rich theological truths for us to mine. But one way for us to understand First Thessalonians is simply a, a parent, the Apostle Paul, who longs to see his children in the faith, as you as a parent who sends your kids off to college. And you're weeks into that first semester, you're months into that first semester, and you're going to show up on that, to, to that Saturday game. You're going to show up to the parents' weekend. Why? Because you want to see your kids. You want to see your son. You want to see your daughter. Paul has this deep, affectionate, paternal love for his children there in Thessalonica. And he says, let me see them again. Now, we know in chapter 2, specifically, you can read it with me in verse 18, Paul tries to get back there. And he tries to get back there as quickly as he can. And he says, we, Silas, Paul, Timothy, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul's trying to get back to Thessalonica, but for whatever reason, the opposition of the enemy is so strong that he cannot get there. Now, Paul doesn't, he doesn't tell us. I would like to ask Paul, that Paul, exactly how you were able to see that Satan was behind that opposition that prevented you to, to get back to Thessalonica. I would also want to ask Paul, what exactly was the opposition? How, how does Satan hinder? You know, to all of my questions, Paul doesn't give us answers. 
probably the Thessalonians knew exactly what he was talking about. Scholars for 2,000 years ago, they kind of fill in the blanks. Maybe this is a thorn in the flesh that Paul is talking about. Maybe there's a sickness that prevents him from getting back. Maybe it's local persecution and opposition that prevents him from going back. We don't know the answer. The Thessalonians then, what we do know is, is that the planting of churches, the thriving of the body of Christ, it's not just about earthly Programs, important. People, important. But Paul is talking about a spiritual warfare that is occurring, and and he is a recipient of this. He is planting this church, and he wants it to thrive, and he's sending Timothy, because Timothy can go there, and Timothy can see with his own eyes, because there's not a most wanted sign in all the post offices of Thessalonica that that have his, his mug, his face there to be able to chase down Paul. So Timothy is able to get there and to see, and what does Paul tell Timothy to tell them? When verse 3 he says, you yourself know that you or we are destined for this. Paul, what exactly were the Thessalonians destined for? Health, wealth, prosperity, endless earthly riches, sit back, relax, have a good time here on earth. Not exactly what Paul's talking about here. Verse 4, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand, that we were to suffer affliction just as it's come to pass and just as you know. I hope you know this. And if you've been a follower of Christ for any amount of time, if you don't know this, you will learn this. Following Jesus isn't the promise of smooth sailing. Following Jesus oftentimes will, will, will lead us to rough patches of water, choppy water that we're just holding on, thinking that the the very boat of our life is going to, to topple and that we're going to be stranded there treading water. But what Jesus promises us in this passage is, is that he is with us in the midst of the opposition. He's with us in the midst of the difficulty. He doesn't waste it. Jesus will give you an abundant life. But Christian, he doesn't promise you an easy life. And oftentimes, if we're to be honest, behind door A is ease, behind door B is abundance, behind door A is intimacy with Jesus, behind door B is ease. We want the ease. We, we, we want the smooth sailing. And our Heavenly Father loves us enough to not just grant us our wishes like a genie in the bottle. I mean, you understand this. I mean, just, just, just think this last year when you finally broke down in New Year's resolutions and you said, you know something, I, I, need, a, I need a higher level of accountability. I, I want to feel better. I want, to, I want to be healthier, and I've tried this plan, and I've tried that plan to no avail, but come February, come March, I leave it behind. So this year is going to be different. This year I'm hiring my own personal trainer, and you meet the trainer, and you say, my goal is I, I want longevity, 
I, I want to be able to play with my grandkids. I want to, I want to be able to, to, to feel better than I feel. I want to look better than I look. All of those kinds of things you say to your trainer. And then your trainer looks at you and says, okay, do you really mean that? And you say, yes, I really mean that. But I want to eat all these foods right here. Here's my food list. And the trainer looks kind of surprised. I mean, do you really want, do you really want transformation? Do you really want to change? Do you really want the things that you've talked about? Yes, but here's, here are the things that I'm going to eat here. So figure that out. And then you go to the trainer and, and they, they, they put weights on bars. And you say, you know something? I, I know I should do that, but that's just a little heavy. Let, let, me, let me just do what I'm comfortable with here. And eventually the trainer is going to look at you and say, now you want to change, you want transformation, but you're ultimately telling me you don't want to sweat. You don't want, what, what do you not want? Discomfort. Because we know that through the discomfort, that we know through the difficulty, that it stretches us. Do you know that your pain has a purpose and one of the purposes God uses pain and difficulty in my life and your life is as a spiritual gymnasium that builds spiritual muscles so that we could say with the Apostle Paul what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my grace is sufficient for you, God said, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure, Paul says, in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christian, God loves you enough to allow you to walk through the valley so that you can feel his comfort with you and his rod and staff holding you. God loves you enough to allow you to walk the road of pain and difficulty so that you can say there, there truly is a, a peace that passes all understanding. But for the way for you to be able to testify for his peace and his presence with you is for you to walk in the midst of the valley of difficulty, in the midst of the valley of disease, in the midst of the valley of devastation, in the midst of the valley of hard roads to travel that none of us want to travel. And Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, be encouraged, be strengthened. We told you this opposition was going to come. We told you this adver adversity is going to come. But we are here with you. And do you know one of the ways that God strengthens us and encourages us is that he puts Timothys in our life. He puts Pauls that are encouragers in our life. And none of us in this room are probably going to have ample opportunities to be encouraging the persecuted church and there are many people that are facing that kind of specific opposition and specific difficulty in our world. But in the world in which we live, it might not be first century Christian persecution or even 21st century Christian persecution. But, but difficulty, trials, hardship, heartache, 
It might not be your everyday experience, but is, is there anyone in this sanctuary that doesn't have a family member or a friend who is walking that road even right now? A coworker or a neighbor who you can't think off the top of your head, you know something? That person probably is walking down that road and maybe that's you this morning. Paul took the time to love the body of Christ in such a way that he writes to encourage them. He takes the time to say, Timothy, get and see them. How are they doing? And do you know you're called and I'm called to be that type of encouragement to the body of Christ? There is someone in our life, maybe it's a person that's going through the transition of divorce and they're rebuilding their life brick by brick. Maybe it's a person that's just laid off from their job. Maybe it's a person that knows what it is to sit in front of a doctor and that doctor looked them in the eye and give them a diagnosis, and now they have roads of, of miles ahead of them with uncertainty and question marks before them. And these people, God has called us to be Paul's and Timothy's for. So we must be intentional. Maybe it's writing a card. Maybe it's picking up the call, phone and calling. Maybe it's scheduling a lunch. Maybe in the midst of the difficulty, it's, it's coming about with food. Maybe it's in the midst of, of the difficulty of saying, hey, we're going to keep the kids. Go out on us and, and be able to just breathe tonight. We've got it. And we could give endless examples, but Paul shows us a, an intentionality to, to reach out and to care enough as Timothy goes to encourage and exhort, and we are called. But notice also in this passage this unique reciprocal relationship where Timothy goes to encourage the Thessalonians, and when he's with the Thessalonians, what do we read? Well, read with me in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, Timothy's been with them, seen with his own eyes how they're holding up in the midst of opposition. He has brought us the good news of what? Your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. So it isn't a one-way street, is it? All of this paternal, affectionate love that Paul has for the Thessalonians, they in turn have for Paul, Timothy, and Silas here. Verse 7, for this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. And this is one of the beautiful aspects of the body of Christ. You ministering to someone going through a difficult time is also one of the ways God ministers to you in your difficulty, in your trials. You see, sometimes we're in this place of hardship and we feel that we have to be the recipients of people's care and love. And the answer is yes, we need to be open to people loving us and caring for us. But also, here is Paul who's been run out of these towns. He's on the run. He has faced obstacles and hardship. I mean, he lists them in that passage I just read when he says weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressures. And Paul says, Timothy's been there with you, and he has told us how you're holding up in the midst of the faith. He has told us how you're living in the midst of the difficulty. And you know what? We've been encouraged. We've been strengthened. And I hope, I hope you understand that, that God's calling upon your life as a follower of Jesus is not to swoop in and to solve people's problems. My calling, your calling, is not to be a Messiah or a Savior who comes in with a spiritual red bow to wrap up everyone's difficulties in this nice, neat, neat package 
and to try to fix people's problems. That's beyond us. That's beyond you. That's beyond me. We're called to walk with them and point them to the Savior. And when we do that, often their strength, their faith bolsters us in the midst of our own questions, our own uncertainties. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Do you see the beauty of this reciprocal relationship? I I hope you do. I I see it every week. It It is one of the gifts of being a pastor. This last weekend, I wasn't with you because I was with my wife and our three boys as we celebrated my father-in-law's 50th year of ministry anniversary, which also happened to coincide with my mother and father-in-law's 50th wedding anniversary. And so on Saturday and Sunday, we were able to be with my in-laws and my father-in-law has served as a faithful pastor for 50 years. And I just sat there on Saturday where church after church and member after member came to him. Some people that he had baptized as a little child who now have their own children that they came to the reception with. People that he counseled through divorces and layoffs. And what I noticed as I was seeing him interact with these people was this deep love and care and the way that the people of God had ministered to the, to the shepherd for, for 50 years and the beautiful portrait of faithfulness between Danielle's mom and Danielle's dad and this deep, tender love that they had for the churches that they served. And I left there just so grateful for this wonderful, faithful example, but I also left reminded of what a holy privilege I have each and every day to call someone on the phone, to be able to visit someone in the house, be able to run by the hospital when people are facing some of of life's difficulties and hardships with tears in their eyes, As I pray with them and they look at me and they say things like this, what I heard Friday afternoon as I was leaving Children's Hospital in the midst of a really difficult situation. And with tears, this mother's eyes, she looked at me and she said, God has been faithful through it all. Even in the midst of what we are facing, God is faithful in the midst of of it all. And this is what the Thessalonians are saying to to Timothy. And Timothy relates to Paul. And we get to be encouraged by the, the beauty of the body of Christ, serving one another and caring for one another. So we see this wonderful gift of caring for one another, but we also see very quickly how we care for one another by lifting one another up in prayer. In chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, Paul doesn't stop with just the intentionality of caring, but he he serves these people by praying for them. He talks about praying for them, and then he he just can't help himself. He starts praying for them. For what thanksgiving can we return, verse 9, to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Every time we close our eyes and think about you, we feel joy for you. As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see your face Uh, See you face to face and supply what's lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. 
If I had a few more minutes, I would expound upon this in greater detail. But if we, if we boil this down, Paul is doing two things. First, he is saying, I am praying night and day that we can see you again. And to the best of our knowledge, God answers this prayer about five years later. Paul is going to go through Macedonia, and he's going to have two visits there in his third missionary journey. And it's there that he sees them face to face. But what he does is not just pray that God would make a way for him to be able to see these Thessalonian believers again, but he prays for them. And I've always found it curious. These Christians are going through opposition and persecution. And what does Paul pray for them? Does he say, God, I pray for the the ceasing of their difficulty. I pray for their persecution to end. I, I am sure that that was a concern of Paul's, but it wasn't at the forefront of his mind. You know what he does? He prays for their holiness. He he prays for their their love to abound with one another. You know, he he prays that they would look more like Jesus and love more like Jesus. That's what Paul is praying. And it is really instructive for us as we pray for ourselves to hold up in the midst of disease, in the midst of difficulty, or we're praying for loved ones and coworkers who are going down this road. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to these people that we love is us on bended knee praying, God, hold them, strengthen them, and make them look more like you and love more like you on the journey that they're traveling. I want us to do something that we often don't do here, but I I want to give you just a very specific invitation Paul and Timothy are loving the Thessalonians, and they're doing it in very specific ways. And my question to you is, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed in this sanctuary, I want us to just, I want us to allow the Spirit of God to bring to our attention the Pauls and Timothys that God has used to bolster and encourage us in the midst of our own difficulty. And when those faces flash before your mind, will you in this very moment thank God for them? But that's not it. Would you pray to God that this very week he would give you the wisdom, the courage, and the intentionality to love boldly To encourage someone that is hurting? And would you allow those faces of your co-workers, family members, friends to flood your mind and your heart as you pray for opportunities to be an encouragement to them? Let's pray.